Thinkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project co-founder and editor-in-chief, Matt Agrist. Our guest this week is totally out of left field for this podcast, which we like to do from time to time to keep it fresh and get outside of our box a little bit. Our guest has quite the resume. He's a speaker, a wellness coach, a grad school teacher, a college NCAA football starter, a high school football coach, He's been featured in the New York Times. He's worked with the University of West Florida and Pepperdine University and has a master's and PhD in applied behavioral analysis. Our guest this week is Mr. Dr. Antonio Harrison, or also known as Coach Doc. Now, it's a bit of a funny story how Matt and I met Coach Doc. You see, I've never actually met Coach Doc, but I've spent literally hundreds of hours with him face-to-face online. Coach Doc, as I mentioned, is also a coach for an online virtual reality workout app called Supernatural. If you're familiar with the game Beat Saber for the Oculus Quest, Supernatural is very similar with various music. It has virtual coaches who start you off with warm-ups and do cool-downs afterward. They give you tips throughout the workout. Anyway, Matt and I, being the tech nerds that we are, we decided to check these headsets out back in early 2020 and both got hooked for a little while on this workout app. About a year ago, I realized Coach Doc was friends with quite a few of my mutual friends on Facebook, so we followed each other and were connected, and since then, I've listened to several of his podcasts, and they're phenomenal. So with that context provided, we do talk about Supernatural a bit towards the end of the conversation, but the rest of the episode is focused on his field of concentration, which is behavior analysis. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Coach Doc. Matt and myself are excited to have you on. I know we follow each other on social media, but I usually see you a few times a week on Supernatural, which I always look forward to, and I want to talk about that briefly at some point. But you're also a behavioral scientist, a behavior analyst, and have a PhD in that field. I'm really fascinated by this topic, and according to Google, an applied behavior analyst is an expert on the science of behavior and how it is applied to problems of individual and social significance. Uh, A little bit more in-depth explanation would be applied behavior analysis, which is also called behavior engineering, is a scientific technique concerned with applying empirical approaches based on principle of respondent operant conditioning to change behavior of social significance. So is there any chance we could maybe learn about what got you interested in this path and what shows you to focus on this field? Yeah, uh, well, first off, thank you guys for having me. Um, And second, before I even talk about that, let me just say uh, all that technical jargon just means I know why people do what they do and how to get them to do other things. That's it. You you know, uh, when I was, I I played college football and I was four-year starter and I thought sports, professional sports was going to be 
life. And um, my senior year, first game, the inside of my ankle touched my groin. And uh, I was cast at hip to toe for nine months, had this unbelievable surgery uh, where it was basically four and a half surgeries in one. And during the during during the, first, the surgery, just on the cutting table alone, I was there for 12 hours. And about 10 hours into it, I started to come to out of anesthesia. So they strapped me down crucifix style and flooded me with anesthesia because they didn't want me to go into anaphylactic shock. And um, it put me in a medically induced coma for three days. And so I went in like 198, 200 pounds, no neck, big muscles, football player. And I woke up at 155. Uh, it was kind of crazy. And so I, I had I had no plans on coming back to California. I was in Iowa. And so I came home because I needed help with like basic, you know, human necessity. Like I needed someone help me to shower, someone to grab my plate of food. And I was sitting around and by the time I got rehabbed and started working, I was a second grade school teacher. I was working three nights a week graveyard shift at 24 hour fitness and a bouncer at a club on the weekends. Like I just didn't know what to do with myself because my whole identity was wrapped up in athletics. Hmm. And so I was like, you know what? I've always enjoyed school. Let me contact one of my favorite professors from undergrad and, and see like what he thinks I should look into. And he and I didn't know he was a behavior analyst. He never talked about it because he just taught general psychology. And uh, he said, you should look into this thing. You've always enjoyed when we run experiments where you observe individuals and manipulate the environment. And I looked at the science and it just made sense to me. And so I, I went and applied. But in hindsight, when I look back on why I chose it, um, it my love for people watching was a survival skill. Uh, I grew up in a pretty turbulent um, environment at home with drugs and gangs and incarceration. And I, and I got put in a lot of real sketchy situations. So like I had to know where the exit was, who was safe, who was sketch, and like make a judgment call about people and environments real fast. And that just happened to be that survival skill happened to become something I really enjoyed, just watching people and seeing how people move and shake. And so that's that's a long-winded way to say how it all kind of came together in that present moment. And then I look back on it hindsight and it just fit. So a lot of your work is it's calculated, it's data-driven, it's meticulous. Um, can you give like a brief interview to kind of distill the essence of your work that your field consists of and how you apply it in different ways, like professionally, uh, in your home life? Because I listened to a, a podcast that you did with Beyond Autism about a year ago, and I was just telling Matt about this last night. I re-listened to it because it was like very fascinating, very interesting stuff. Uh, you were talking about how you use behavioral science to better instruct and train your high school football players for safer tackling techniques uh, using like auditory cues. And eventually, I think you said it was after like 20 sessions or something, but eventually they had like 100% effectiveness rate, the students who participated. To me, it's like really fascinating to be able to kind of like hack people's minds like that. Yeah, I mean, essentially what we're doing with behavior analysis, like if, if I were to just kind of put it at um, its most core concept is uh, we are taking a look at the environment, seeing how we can set it up for skill acquisition or reduction of a behavior that's unwanted um, the most effective way, then providing some sort of intervention uh, where 
we're either increasing that skill, teaching that skill in an effective and efficient manner, or decreasing something a uh, behavior, and then providing a consequence for that. Right? Um, it's it happens everywhere. Right? You go to work, you get a paycheck. That's behavior analysis. Right? You are receiving a reward for engaging in a behavior. Uh, you see a cop, you slow down. Right? Like that's a a, a, a a stimuli that you see that says, "Hey, slow down, or you're going to get ticked." Laws. Um, rules for games, everything that is engaging with behavior, um, you can see as behavior analysis. It's just that we talk about it in a very technical language that's different, but it's happening all the time. Um, I'll give you another example that's not one with the tackling, but uh, for my dissertation, I had read this book by Alfie Cohn called Punished by Rewards, and he was like, he was huge on the education lecture circuit. and. His book essentially said we shouldn't give kids rewards for things they should be doing because it decreases their intrinsic motivation. And uh, for my field, that that's that goes against what we learn, right? Like we're rewarded for everything that we do or punished for everything that we do, which is what creates a history uh, for us to be able to predict behavior in the future. Um, and so I said, you know, I, I coach this high school football team. We only got 200 boys in the high school. We compete against water polo and cross country in the fall. So like to get 27 kids on a varsity football team, we're, we're thanking the high heavens um, when most teams got 60 plus players. And so we can't do things like make mandatory workouts during all season. Like we just can't. The kids got to compete in other athletic uh, endeavors to help the school out. So in summertime, it's mandatory, it's voluntary workouts. And so I was like, all right, I want to kind of test this guy's theory here. So kids would show up to work out. They would line up, uh, check in with me. I'd give them the workout. They'd go in, get their workout in, write down numbers when they were uh, of the workouts they completed and how much weight. And when they were finished, they would turn that back into me. And we had a big sign on the weight room board that it was just an attendance record. Um, and it's just public posting of their attendance. And we would check them off. And then for when it came time for their intervention, um, same thing. Only thing that differed was when they lined up at the door, I gave them what was called a mini preference assessment, which was just, what do you want to work for today? And their choices were either an iTunes gift card for one song, a power bar for, you know, nutrition and health to get them bigger, faster, stronger with their workouts, or a helmet decal. And for those who aren't football savvy if you ever watch football and especially college and high school and you see the guys with the little stickers on their helmet it's just public posting telling everybody else that you're playing against that i'm a badass like i got lightning bolts or skulls or hammers on my helmet right um and they go and do their workout write down their numbers give it back i check them off um then we remove that intervention see what happens and then re-implement it and what happened was uh well first off I should have never given the iTunes gift card uh, because that was still when everybody had like the iPod and the little bean thing. And, but kids were ripping uh, music from LimeWire. So like no one, it wasn't effective. Like they were just like, we don't need that. We get free music all the time. Uh, the power bar came in second because that helped them with their getting bigger. And then the helmet decal was the number one thing they wanted because they wanted to show everybody how much they were badass. But the results of the study showed that the kids who never showed up before we provided a reward, they never showed up when we provided it either because they weren't there. 
How can you receive a reward if you're not there, period, in the first place? The kids who were showing up 100% during that baseline uh, period, um, when we gave them a reward, they continued to show up 100%. But that's because the reward I was, they had already contacted something in the natural environment that was rewarding and reinforcing for them. Whether that's like, you know, praise of their teammates, hanging out with their teammates, getting away from their mom and dad from being at summer home all day, you know, uh, finishing up summer school and coming in and whatever it may be, getting bigger and stronger and flexing in front of the mirror, who knows? But where it really mattered were those kids on the fence, the ones who, without a reward, would show up a day, be gone two, come one or two, then miss three days. The moment we gave them a little reward for showing up, they were there 100% across the board. And in, in the world of something like athletics or anything else, those people who are on the fence, when they show up, uh, it, it takes the team, the society, the culture, whatever it is, to a whole nother level. Right. They're the they're the deciding factor, those ones right there in the middle. Oh, it's interesting to hear that, because, I mean, we'll, we'll see, you know, that that personal motivation for a lot of different uh, aspects in society. I, the one that immediately sprang to mind was uh, like the little blue check marks that people get, um, you know, from like Twitter or just being verified. And it's it's almost like this the status symbol. Uh, which I guess probably the stickers with the helmet is probably uh, a very similar effect. And it's interesting to to hear that that was the kid's motivator, you know, was to to get that. I, I don't know if this quite aligns with what you're saying, but it, it did cross my mind as you were saying it, that uh, you had spoken of an analogy when you're helping people with um, your, you, you also do wellness coaching on the side. Uh, you're you know, health coach, you try to uh, instruct people on how to get healthy and, and fit. And you said that a, a lot of times you would equate the situation to a house uh, that had no electricity and, and people would call you up and they would be like asking you for help. And you could always distinguish the two or the different types of people. And I think the two distinctions that kind of resonated in my mind was like, there's the people who just call you up and they just want the electrician to fix the house. Right. They yeah. don't really care about what's happening. It's just like they want it to be done. They don't really care about all the, the details involved. And then it's the opposite person, the person who does want to know how you rewire the house. They want to be able to fix it again next time themselves. Uh, so, I mean, can you speak on that at all and, and your experiences with that? Yeah, no, I, I think what I was talking about at the time was the dissemination of our science. Like one of the things that it's very unfortunate um, People in our field, they have, we have this very specific technical language about things where they have these very specific definitions that you need to know to know what we're talking about. And we come in and use our technical jargon all the time. And people's eyes glaze over, it feels condescending, and people just don't like that. And so I'm always telling people, be, a, be yourself, be a human being before you're your profession. Like, get to know me, say hello, speak my language. Um, you know, when you go into a doctor's office, like most people don't want to know, you know, when you start using these technical terms, most people don't want to know how the circulatory system works. Like just I, my blood's not flowing, right? I got a blood clot. Like, what do I need to fix this? Um, so I, I have equated it to, uh, someone whose lights went out. They call an electrician, come fix this. Some people want to know, some people don't. And you can always tell because of the people who have done their quote unquote research by looking stuff up on Google or they're asking a bunch of questions and you can feed them that knowledge. That's totally fine. But don't assume 
or make uh, make a judgment call that someone needs to know the language because they don't. If they wanted to, they would have went to grad school for five years to learn, right? Like they just want your help. They want your help. You are seen as the expert. Come in, be a good person, talk to them, get to know them and help them out with what you need to. I will hear someone talk. I'll translate it for myself in behavior analytic uh, terminology and then retranslate it for myself back to the audience that I'm speaking in the manner in which they speak. Like I don't, yeah, you know, so um, that was the huge thing for me is, is which has stunted the growth of our science is no one, no one wants to be talked down to like you've got this information, this dictionary that no one else has, man. It's true, man. I uh, I remember when my son had um, a condition like with his head um, and it was kind of flattening in the back. It's called plagiocephaly. And um, I did, you know, I did some online research and stuff like that. When we went to the doctor, we finally got an appointment to go to the doctor. And I said that word and he looked he looked down his nose at me and was like, how do you know that word? It was like, you know, like I was I was spoke his language and it was offensive to him, you know, because he speaks in this medical speak and uh and i wasn't supposed to know that it's it's kind yeah. of a turnoff to so many people you know <laughs> huge huge turnoff man and, and at the end of the day like let's let's be real people do things and for others work with work for others people that they like like i bet both of you have a barber that there's probably a better actual technical barber closer to you but you drive further <laughs> because you like going to that barber <laughs> <laughs> true Right. Like, so I, I, I don't get it. Everybody wants to, uh, you know, it's, it's ego driven to me. Um, so, you know, that, I do what I do. That's a great point, Doc. And uh, I think I also remember hearing you speak on that. You you were I think when you first got into the profession and uh, had graduated, you had mentioned that you spent some time really trying to make your mark within that field. And it, it didn't really pan out to the, the same degree that you wanted it to and you kind of reassessed you kind of said well look like i'm not trying to just be somebody who talks at conferences and gets a pat on the back and get bought a beer at the bar afterward you know like i'm actually trying to be out here helping people and so you kind of diversified you kind of tried new avenues to branch out and to explore your work and i think one of those things was supernatural and oddly enough that's how me and Matt found of you found out about you, but I, I know you had mentioned other examples. So uh, yeah, yeah, and, and and I'll even add to that, man. Um, there, for me, there's this, and it, it's a societal, cultural thing. Maybe more so United States than other places, just because I'm, you know, I haven't lived anywhere outside of the United States. Uh, there's this idea that intelligence equals complexity when real intelligence is taking something complex and breaking it down to its basic components, mm. right? Like that's real intelli intelligence is keeping things simple. Why are we trying to conflate so many things and adding all these layers and that's what makes you smart? No, if I can talk to a CEO, a doctor, a physician, um, a PhD candidate, but also talk to anybody walking on the street and being able to say the exact same thing and have them understand, that's true intelligence. Not making something so hard people can't figure it out, right? This isn't an IKEA instruction manual. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, and you know, being an artist, a lifelong artist too. Before I, I kind of transitioned more into my intellectual side, 
I, I recognized that while I was working on music and trying to make music as well, I'd, I would compose these like highly technical arrangements and it seemed like nobody really cared. Uh, but it, once I dumped it down and put like a four on the floor beat behind it, you know, it seemed like all of a sudden people started to enjoy it. And I think the same thing could be said even in my, my newer endeavor with you know making content, social media uh, content for our pages and for our organization, and even the memes, you know, and there's a really uh, simple acronym, which is ironically, it's KISS, you know, keep it simple, stupid. I mean, the more complex you get, uh, the, the more people tune out. So there really is a balance there and almost a fine line. And even the, the, some of the pop songs you hear on the radio, you think it's just pop trash. And it's like, actually, like it takes some skill to really know how to write a, a song that's that poignant and still really simple and catchy. Two, two things that are cool to me about that. One is that same professor I called to find out what to do. The very first day I walked into Cycle 101, that's what he had written on the board, this kiss and that anyone knows what this means and it was like keep it simple stupid and I, that has stuck with me forever um it was just one of the greatest things I've ever heard and the other thing in, in talking about keeping things simple and and uh you you were mentioning um pictures like the think about this one of the greatest civilizations we revere in history is the egyptians right hieroglyphs what the fuck are we writing in now with emojis? Right? Like that is what that's a hieroglyph. We are telling a story and speaking with words through pictures, something very simple that can be extremely complex um, and lead to something great. So like, do I think do I love the written word? Of course. But my point is, again, simplicity is where true intelligence lies. It allows people to think and, and feel and behave instead of being perplexed about what the hell is going on. So, yeah, I think that's what's so appealing, like about people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, like he he can he's puts things in layman's terms and because science and, and you know, medicine is really interesting. But when they have that uh, that barrier there, that's, uh, you know, it's it's not only like some people not only see it as condescending, but, you know, you just basically just can't even understand it <laughs> if you're not, you know, professionally trained in that. So uh, being able to communicate it, the this com these complex ideas is um is a skill not a lot of people have, which is why there's not a lot of people, you know, the mainstream isn't very interested in science. Um, you know, the, you have well, to kind of dumb it down for the masses to be able to understand it. Well, and you make the point, you hit the nail on the head, man. Like once you don't understand something, majority of people are no longer interested. Exactly. Right? Like, why? exactly. If, if I can't get it, then like, oh, I'm just not going to do it. Um, I'm not going to learn it. So there's very few people who say, I don't understand this. I'm now I have to learn it. Like I got to get it down. So like right. you, you get right. people who lose interest in so many things that are relevant and important because people won't just stop, uh, letting their ego be inflated about whatever it is that their title is. Because when you make something, like, when something, when people can't understand something, they lose interest. Um, which is unfortunate because there's so many great things and pieces of information out there. So why we try to make things uh, too complex just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, keep people's interests. And, and you don't, it's not necessarily dumbing it down. It's just making it accessible, right? Um, it, same way when I talk to, like, I've coached football for the last 15 years. My wife loves it. I watch MMA all day, every day. And, uh, 
she at first wasn't a fan really of either. And then just sitting down being like, let me explain to you what's going on. But um, so that you can understand it so that you can appreciate the art that is happening right now. Right. Like, and she reverse on that. She's a professional makeup artist. I can now look at someone on TV and go, oh, their face foundation doesn't match their neck. Their makeup <laughs> artist is horrible. Right? Like, how, why, do I, why do I want or need to know that? I don't know, but it's fascinating that I do because she broke it down for me. Right. And you don't typically have to dumb something down. Like, I mean, I guess that's the cool way of saying it. <clears throat> Um, but it's, yeah, it's just making it the, the content or whatever point you're trying to get across more relatable to that, that individual. <clears throat> exactly. I would say on the flip side of that too, not only does it, it turn people off and they kind of get lost in, in the jargon and the technical side of things, but it can also set up a situation where people just mindlessly believe whoever the quote expert is, yes. you know, and, and uh, that's also equally uh, as dangerous. So, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are um, about the whole COVID situation, uh, but as somebody who's familiar with like the behavioral engineering side of, uh, I guess, our, our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings, uh, was there any red flags that you sensed with the way that COVID measures were rolled out to the general public as far as like emotional manipulation, gaslighting, uh, people kind of compromising their ethics, um, mostly because they just didn't understand exactly what was going on. And we also saw, you know, a lot of intimidation, fear, uh, bullying tactics um, from our, our media institutions. Um, was What was your take on all that? I mean, it was scary. Like, it, it, in part, so I guess I'll say first part is um, when it comes to the experts speaking, you can, no matter what the topic, you can go find expert opinion or empirical evidence that supports both sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. So your job to be an informed human being is to read both sides of the argument and make a decision for yourself, right? Um, whatever that decision is. What was a red flag for me was uh, things happen so fast. Like all of a sudden there were these mandates and these things we have to do and, and it didn't make sense. And the other part of it was, it was to me, history repeating itself in the sense of how we divide human beings. What are, what's happening here? Like none of this makes sense. Nothing makes sense. And the toughest part for me was where you saw it in different places because I get to do a lot of talks all over the nation and I get flown out places. California and New York were the only ones that were locked in like that. I went to New Hampshire. I went to Texas. I went to, uh, 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 Michigan. Everybody was walking around doing their thing. And then at the same time, you got all these people saying you can't go anywhere, but then I see, the Deer Park Arena for the Milwaukee Bucks during the final championship game was 60,000 people shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. And for me, that was the thing. was like, all right, forget what Fauci's saying. Forget what whoever's saying. Whatever representative and people on both sides. How, how does the mandates that are being enforced upon you make sense with what you're seeing? Nothing, nothing's adding up here. Um, and so... 
you know, but I made sure to, to, to follow social distancing. I made sure um, to not, you know, put on my mask inside of a store when I was asked to. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm also knowing that I'm 38. I am healthy and fit. Uh, I don't have uh, any other diagnosis, so there's no comorbidity. Um, so I'm not the, the person at risk. Right. Right? Like I'm just not. I'm not the person at risk. Um, and don't get sick like that. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, everything looked like a red flag. To me. Um, and then you, I mean, I don't know how deep we want to dive into who owns the patent and the amount of money the company's made off of all of this stuff and their, their year end quarterly earnings, what they, you know, the 110% or whatever it went up. Like, yeah, well, cl clearly you want grandma to die, doc. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I get from all that. Right. <laughs> well, 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 here's, here's the other, but, but interesting part about that. Right. And this is a, a opinion that most people don't really feel for me. Um, you saw how scared people were of death. And I don't understand that. We, no matter what you believe in, religion or spiritual or atheist, no matter what you believe in, no one actually knows what happens to you when you die. No one knows because they can't come back and tell us, right? What if it's the greatest thing that ever happens to us and what we were meant to do was live this thing out so that we can die and have something dope? Yeah. I don't know. What if it is? So I don't fear death. Do I want to leave my kids and my wife and loved ones behind and have them sad? No. But I'm also not shaking in my boots about the idea of my physical existence no longer being here. So like to me, though I want to keep people safe and don't want people to die early, evolution is a thing, man. Like <laughs> it's just sure. it. Yeah, people were so afraid of dying that they like they literally stopped living and they just yeah. went into they they retracted into their homes and Man, sadly, it's still like that. I still see people, you know, we never down here in the South, like I'm in a red state. So we kind of, you know, we, we locked down for about a month, you know, they closed things and then everybody said, you know, fuck it, we're going to reopen, you know, so that's yeah. what happened down here. But they still have people. I mean, I still see people every now and again, you know, in their car by themselves wearing two masks or yeah. walking down the street outside wearing a mask, you know, or just completely scared if they have to go to the grocery store, they're wearing gloves and and they have, you know, two masks on. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that would that, that boils down to the the inability to to relay uh, an important message to the populace. You know, that's the same thing. Yep. They instead of being honest and transparent and speaking in a tone that uh, that would have, you know, had people better prepared. It was this fear rhetoric that was jammed down everybody's throats and you know, unfortunately, over half the country bought into it and, and it devastated us economically and, and physically as well and, and mentally. And um, I mean, thank God that this is all ending right now. You know, I don't know if this if this would have gone on another year. I mean, it's already bad enough. You know, we're in a mental health crisis. It's a, the next pandemic is mental health from all this shit. Yeah. You know? yeah. All the suicides yeah. and everything. It's it's um, it's insane, man. <laughs> I'm well, glad I'm glad I had your app when we we, we, we locked down for like three weeks here. Right. And, um, and I, I go to the gym every day, man. And, and, uh, the thing that kept me sane, you know, from not being able to go to the gym was, was supernatural. Jason told me about it. And, um, 
And I started using it and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing, man. And I kept doing it even after the, you know, the gym opened back up for a little while. And um, it's just, you know, stuff like that. Like a lot of people weren't working out. They, you know, they just stopped going to the gym. They just lost their health and just declined into, you know, made themselves more of a target for COVID, you know, and, and complications from it. And, well, yeah, because we all oh, thought man. it was going to be a two, we all thought it was going to be a two week vacation. That's mm -hmm. why you saw right. drink hanging out going up because people's like, oh, two weeks off. Let's grab some bottles. Let's hang out. We got two weeks to do nothing. And that just got people sucked in for two years. Right. Um, yep. And I respect anybody's decision on vaccine or not on social distancing on wearing masks, even though like I don't know why you wear a mask in the car by yourself. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. But as a science, as a scientist who looks at data on a daily basis, the biggest thing that like crushed my science soul about this whole thing was recently when the CDC director came out and was like, yeah, we have two and a half years worth of data, but we're not going to release it to the public because it's not prime time ready. Those were the exact words. It's not prime time ready. Data doesn't need manipulation or spin, PR spin. Data is data. It tells you what it tells you. Release it. Let us, let us, let us see what it said. Don't, don't think we're, we are not intelligent enough to comprehend what this data is saying. And that you have to put a PR spin on it to make it prime time ready. Whatever the data says, I'm going to make a database decision. Right. You know, so, um, but again, I respect anybody's choices and I will respect that. But also don't, don't segregate me or my children for the choices we make. I think the CDC also suggested around that same time they didn't want um, conspiracy theorists to use it as misinformation. So yeah. again, I mean, that's just speaking to your point there, but yeah. And you mentioned earlier, I mean, it was just tunnel vision on the vaccine. Right. And, you know, it's just, it makes things suspicious when most of Congress has stocks within the pharmaceutical industry. You know, we weren't looking at any type of early treatments, nutrition, stress reduction, exercise, vitamin D. It was just like a straight tunnel vision for vaccines. And, and to your point there, doc, yeah, Pfizer actually made uh, 36.8 a billion dollars last year off the Pfizer vaccine alone. That's one of the most lucrative products ever yeah. in history. And, and I don't, I don't understand why my first thought when all this happened was where's the money going in, into being proactive and getting people's health back. Sure. Right. Like where's the money, where's the money that should be going into programs to get people off the couch and moving and understand that their health is important. Right. Like uh, whether it's COVID, it's the flu, it's anything else. Like I'd rather see, hey, let's do something proactive to decrease the probability of injury, decrease the probability of illness. I did my part and, and did what I could do um, throughout the time to try to help folks. I mean, I gave for when this hit for 2020, uh, I was like, you know, people aren't going to have access to the gym. Uh, people don't like the gym. I personally don't. I only lift at, uh, either the house or the football weight room. Um, some people don't have the money for a trainer and some people don't even know what to do. So I'm going to make 30 minutes every single day of the year at home workouts on YouTube and they're progressively going to get harder. And by the end, I'm showing you how to make makeshift weights in your house with water bottles and jugs and bags of sand, right? Like that's, where's that stuff? Like, wh where was that? that? Like, that's what I wanted to see collectively as a, as a 
global uh, human beings is saying like, everybody pitch in, let's get people help. Like do the thing that, that's going to keep you safe. Right. Sure. And when there's, you know, conflicting evidence, it's not making any sense. There's not much logic involved and there's a concerted effort towards a single product that might be something to concern yourself about, you know, instead of just mindly, mindlessly believing the experts and trusting the science because your family and friends do. But not everybody's got the mental bandwidth also to be able to understand that. And so, you know, that's part of our work here at the Free Thought Project. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, too. Like, if you looked at both sides of the argument, you read the, you know, journal articles that were empirically validated that you can have access to just through Google Scholar. And you made your own decision, I respect it, right? Like whatever your decision is, I respect it because you actually went in and thoroughly dug through what you needed to to make a life altering decision for yourself and the rest of the people around you. But if you were just like, oh, I got to do this thing, right? Like that, it like anything else, I don't just do what people tell me to do, right? Like I want to make a decision for myself. So changing gears here a little bit, I did want to touch on this one topic before we part ways. So like for years now, uh, our focus here at the Free Thought Project has been centered on the drug war, um, all the horrific social ills that are associated with it. We probably cover stories on like a weekly basis about people's lives being turned upside down. Um, Sometimes they're not even participating in drug use or sales, uh, but they still have their homes raided, uh, property destroyed. Sometimes they're even killed, worst, you know, worst case scenario, they're, they're killed by law enforcement. Obviously, it's not something that we could turn a blind eye to in society. And there's a very real issue of drug abuse in the country. What do you think, like, how would you use your field of behavior analysis to be applied to like drug addiction and perhaps like more of a strategic calculated approach rather than just the current strategy of law enforcement and the initiation of violence? Um. I mean, that, that's a, a big question to unpack. Uh, sure. I'll, I'll start by saying, um, personally, th- this is very close to me. Uh, when, when you see movies about like, and documentaries about crack cocaine in Los Angeles in the late 80s, early 90s, that shit is real. That's what my dad got hooked on. And I found out at 10 years old, the reason why he was being, you know, out of the house for three days at a time was because he was binge using dope. And then once it, once it, the cat was let out of the bag, he was like, well, fuck it. I'll just stay home and use. And so finding crack pipes in the, in the floor, in the living room, or knowing that he's using, and he's now paranoid hiding behind a curtain with a butcher knife, me and my sister having to stomp as we walk around the house, just to let our presence be known and him in and out of jail for that use. Um, and just being in, I mean, moments where I'm not picked up from places or, He's taking me to the dope spot to cop. And then as we drive home, he can't even wait to get home to use. He stops at a random ass park and goes in the bathroom for three hours while I'm stuck in a car. Right. Like this shit was real for me. Um, And when I think about it from that personal standpoint, uh, I've seen the power of the drug. Right. Um, the thing that has allowed me and my dad to have a good relationship was I saw how powerful it was that I knew that when he was on it, that wasn't my father. That was a completely different person, someone who would rob, steal and kill just to get his fix. Um, and it's really hard to combat something so powerful with 
the things going on in the world when we don't respect the beauty of the simple things, right? When everybody wants a big ass house, no one's communal. We got gates up everywhere. Um, when everybody wants the most money, the best car, um, and we're not enjoying the simple fact that like, I get to be outside right now. I've got tomatoes growing in my garden right now. Uh, when you can't, when those simple things aren't powerful for you, how do you compete with a drug that will make you rob from your family? It's really hard to do. Um, but also too, what's causing people to go that direction to use that thing? Why are people feeling so desperate about uh, however they feel to want to escape or feel something different that they're going that direction? And it again, goes back to the fact that we're not, we're not community anymore. Like there are people like you guys yourselves who are in pockets who are, who are trying to make community a thing again. But as a whole, just the physical houses we live in and gates we put up to block ourselves from other people, right? The, the, when the doorbell rings, people all jump and like, oh, shit, who's at the door? When the phone rings, it's like, damn, you could have just texted me, right? Um, so we've, our culture and society has made people more isolated and then staring through the lens of whether it's social media or anywhere else of the things that they desire instead of seeing the beauty that's around them. So people escape to that thing to try to make themselves feel better. Um, and there's all kinds of policies and different things we can set up from a behavior analytics standpoint. But for me, the, the bigger issue is the fact that the way in which we live is not how we were fucking meant to live as human beings. It's just not. Why do we have to pay to live on a planet we, were, we didn't ask to be born on? Why do I got to pay rent to just survive? And why is my rent in California different from the rent in Iowa? Like, none of this makes any sense. Um, and it makes you feel sometimes like, you know, you're isolated from the world and you are this separate thing. When in reality, we are all this collective thing that have the exact same uh, formation of elements, like exactly the same, the stardust. Um, so it's, it, again, I think you can put in policies. I think the more policies could go to being proactive instead of reactive. But for me, the war on drugs was just a way to put certain populations in jail. And then you saw how it flipped when the, that population was part of the opioid crisis. All of a sudden, there's all this money and funding going into it. All of a sudden, it's a big concern. Um, so to me, it just it, it felt like the same thing, just a different day. Um, and so I, I don't know how you fix it in the place that we live in and, and how far we've gone in terms of isolating ourselves from the world and then desiring these material things. Uh, but it all always comes back to me for, to me about everything in this world, regard drugs, whatever. Are you working on you and trying to make yourself be better, which makes everything around you better, which if we all did that collectively, well, shit, we'd be pretty well off. And everybody would feel a lot better about themselves and things like that wouldn't happen as often in situations and circumstances wouldn't be presented where you don't have a choice but to sell dope or use it or it's everywhere and you're going to be likely to try it because the probability of it just being present increases the probability that you're going to do it. Um, so I, I, it's hard for me to answer that question without a lot of things that I that <clears throat> that I feel go into that. Um, Sure. Yeah. 
And yeah, you're right. I mean, it was a huge question. I was hoping to get to it a little bit earlier in, in the show, although I've very much appreciated everything we've talked about up at this point. I even have uh, homelessness next on my list here, but I don't think we're gonna have a chance to unpack that one. But um, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's not a theory. You know, it's actually fact. The drug war was created and started. Uh, Richard Nixon actually admitted in 1972 was to target hippies and blacks. So, I mean, that's it's been successful. Uh, there's the U.S. has the largest prison population in the world. Uh, they still can't keep drugs out of prisons. So oh. in that sense, uh, that the drug war has been a failure, but it has been successful as far as the way that Nixon wanted to implement it. And and my I guess in the drug war too. My question is like, who and what are we fighting? Like who? When you say it's the war on drugs, like you can't have a war on a. Uh, uh, inanimate, tangible thing. Like, so sure. who who are you actually going after? Where yeah. where stopping it from? Um, and uh, so tell me the specifics of what this war is really all about. That we're pumping so much money into, and so much rhetoric is being thrown around it. Um, I just want to know, like, who who are we targeting? Who's the bad guy? Yeah, unfortunately, it's a huge money laundering scheme for the ruling class, you know, and uh, it, the war on terrorism, the war on drugs, the war on COVID, they're all euphemisms for a war on you, a war on the people. Uh, and sometimes people have a hard time understanding that it goes a few layers deeper than the surface propaganda that we're told, but that is the truth. Okay, Doc, so we only have a few minutes left. Um, I have a huge uh, fanboy moment here. I was hoping you could maybe answer some questions in rapid fire, maybe a minute at best. I mean, of course you could go longer if you want, but these are all supernatural questions. Um, so are you ready? I'll answer what I can, man. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so again, quick answers are totally fine. Like how did you get the gig there? Uh, I was a fitness instructor at a boutique treadmill fitness studio. Leanne was the head coach. She left. They got bought by a corporation who franchises these boutiques and they want to do a Peloton style on camera for the treadmills. I auditioned and got it. They showed it at the largest uh, fitness expo in Vegas. Leanne saw that and she sent me a text like, hey, you want to be a virtual reality fitness coach? And I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is, but like I'm down. <laughs> um, and so I went to interview and I auditioned and I got gig. Nice. I love it, man. It's, so is Leanne as cool as she seems? It sounds like it. Super cool. Uh, I got Leanne's back for life, no matter what. Like she's she's a badass that uh, I will rock with till the wheels fall off. Yeah, she really is amazing, considering some of her recent life events as well. Um, okay, so is there any like competition between the coaches with scores on Supernatural, or is that kind of not something that you guys are supposed to do? Uh, no competition at all, and in part is because. Uh, when we record workouts while we're doing them um, that you guys don't see, it's the reason why we have points because the points attributed to workouts. So it's kind of difficult because I may have three workouts, but Leanne may have five to shoot that week. And dewana has got four and Mark's got two and Rainier's got three. And so it's just, it's hard. It's just not like we're at home and being like, all right, we're going to compete against each other because the the sheer nature of the work, makes it different for what our point values are fair enough fair enough i can see that and uh okay only a couple more here box or flow which one is your 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 favorite come on man boxing oh no shit okay i like the flow maybe a little bit better i feel like it's maybe a little bit more of a cardio workout but i mean the boxing is still fun too and i, I love that addition 
I just get right. hyped with <laughs> Yeah, right, right, for sure. Um, and then what's what's the key to getting a diamond, man? I've been doing this for two years. I have 200 plus points. I still never got in the diamond. Consistency. The exact same way you strike or and flow or punch in boxing in a low is the exact same way you need to do it in a high. So you can't work. You can't go, I'm going to up my intensity and how hard I swing in a high because it's a high, but then in a low, not be as hard. You got to be the same way all the way through, low, medium, or high. And after a while, that will set your baseline. <clears throat> and now every time you hit that, you're going to get a dime because you're doing the exact same way. So still uh, push, your, but be consistent. I shouldn't, if, okay. if, I'm, in a, if I'm in a ring, let, let's put it this way. If I'm in a ring with a 75-year-old man or a 25-year-old man, you better believe I'm going to throw the same way because I'm in a ring. I'm sure. not switching it up for the 75-year-old, right? right like right. we got to got to keep it consistent. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> All right. And uh, one last bonus question, non-supernatural bonus question. Okay. Top three California rappers of all time. Cause I know you're a hip hop fan. Oh shit. Uh, I mean, God, ah, man. All right. Just right. how about one? What's your well, favorite? Well, well, what I was going to say off top was Pac, E40 and Snoop Dogg. Okay. Um, I mean, you can't go wrong with that from California. I won't say my there. None of those three are my favorite rapper of all time or lyricist of all time. But for California, to me, those are the top three. For sure. All right. All great answers. And I, I know I did mention to you if, if you want to keep it brief, but like, is there anything you could share with our audience from your perspective? I know you're a very rounded, very educated person. Like there's so much disharmony in society. There's so much tension and seemingly more and more it seems like chaos uh is there anything you could speak on to as far as solutions to, to kind of i don't know fix this broken ship we're on yeah uh you got to go within right um you got to do work on self before you can help anybody else right there's a reason they tell you to put on your mask on a plane going down before you help a kid put on theirs and that's a child right like you've got to go within um, the moment you grow self, everything else around you changes. Uh, and you can't help anybody if you are disheveled, broken down, stressed out, tired, unhealthy. Like you've got to be on point before anything else. So I, I really hope people curate their own experiences, take what's useful, keep it, drop what's useless, um, but focus on them before they look at anything else. Uh, because if you do that, and everybody did that collectively, we all have a moral compass that knows right and wrong um, and how to treat people. And if you just go within and treat yourself the way that you want to be treated, you will eventually treat others the way you want to be treated. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Be the change you want to see in the world. Exactly, man. And, and, and here's the thing, it's scary as hell because most people don't know how to be alone. Uh, Sadhguru said it best to me, if you're going to be alone, you might as well be in good company, man. <laughs> I love that. So coach doc, I know you have a website, which is muchlovealways.com. You also have several podcasts, which can be found on Spotify. One is called docs daily dose, which you've been doing for almost a year now. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you have one called thank you. I love you. And I think thank you used, you. Yeah, I'm sorry. You. Yeah. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Sorry. I didn't, uh, didn't mention the last part. And then you used to have a, a podcast called two 30 dudes. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So people could definitely check that out. And you're also on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or plug with our audience? Um, no, I mean, um, the only other thing is I'm working on something new called Doc After Dark, where like I want people to come in and they can be anonymous and share some some pretty deep and juicy things and, and ask questions so that I, I can just be a mirror and just hold that up and, and ask you questions back so people can figure things out for themselves, man. Yeah, that was the, one of the things that caught me uh, by surprise when I listened to a few of your podcasts and, you know, here and there, I'll... I'll if it comes through my newsfeed, I'll turn it on. You've mentioned to people like several times throughout, you know, these podcasts that anybody could reach out to you and, and you, you yeah, will you give are. them a response and you'll give them some feedback. I just thought that was amazing, man. Cause there's so few people that actually have that genuine positivity that they're willing to accept anybody's uh, communications. I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, thank you, man. I, I mean, I, I put all of my stock into relationships Right. Um, at the end of the day, like when I'm dead and gone, uh, the only thing that's going to matter is the relationships I have with people. That's how I live on um, is for people to speak my name and speak it in a fashion that's beneficial for them. Um, so like it, uh, anybody wants to reach out to me, they can. I'm down to talk about anything. And quite frankly, I love talking to people who disagree with me because I might learn something from you. Sure. Change, change my mind. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And if, if they do, that's even better because you're on a better line of thinking. And if they don't, well, it just reinforces your position anyway. Yep. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much. You're a rock star. You're, you're genuine. You're authentic. You're a good hearted dude. Um, you, you continue to evolve and improve yourself. I mean, you have so many things going on. You have your website, you have your podcasts. I mean, you spread yourself out in so many different places. Uh, you're, you're certainly an overachiever and an inspiration to many including myself in and out of the headset. And uh, you are genuinely applying your knowledge to make the world a more effective and efficient place while helping people empower themselves. That's real life hero stuff right there. So Thanks. we very much appreciate your time, brother. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you both. I appreciate y'all for having a stimulating conversation. Man. Most definitely, Doc. We'll have to do it again. Sounds good.